Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Kara tonight, and our topic is the altar of incense. The altar of incense is the smallest piece of furniture that we're dealing with here. And even though it's one of the three things that's inside the uh, tabernacle there in that main area of the holy place, it's often not listed with the table of showbread and the lampstand, and it often comes last in lists of the construction. So it's a tiny little altar of incense. It's also intriguing to me, if some of you have been following these Bible studies about the tabernacle, it was very interesting to me that when things shifted from this nomadic tent of the tabernacle to the temple, stone building, glorious, huge, four courts, multi-layered, uh, so much of the other furniture, like there was one laver in the tabernacle, but it turned into 10 lavers, plus that big sea of bronze, if you remember that. And uh, the lampstand turned into 10 lampstands. The table of showbread turned into 10 tables of showbread. Everything scaled up when you moved into the temple, except that altar of incense. I mean, there was still only one Ark of the Covenant and so on, but the altar of incense and they hardly even mention the fact that there was incense involved in it anymore. It just plays this minor, minor little role. It's curious that it doesn't kind of scale up with everything else that happened there. And so that's intriguing to me. And so as we have been in this series, we'll be looking at what that thing means. And I think actually it means something very, very precious and wonderful, but we'll see if we can extract that from the biblical passages. And would you join me, friends, in an opening prayer? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together in your holy name. You are the one God of heaven and earth. You are the word made flesh. We pray for your presence among us, among all of us, as we ponder this passage, this image that you give us in your word. Amen. Amen. Very nice to be with you all, sending out love to those of you who are out there online. Apologize for my whatever you call this condition is. It's my favorite illness. I like to get it once a month if I can. Um, <laughs> the, uh, let's, uh, let's just start by reading some descriptions about this and see if we can dig in and, and learn a little more about this golden altar of incense. Now, dear reader, yeah. do you have headings in your New King James there? I did. With the tech difficulty, we didn't do sound checks, so no, I'm assuming true. it's fine. But yes, I do have headings. Do you? Yes. In uh, Exodus like 27, 28 in there, that sort of area, do you have headings in your Bible there? Exodus, which chapters? Like 27, 28. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Okay. The court of the tabernacle. So what, what chapter is that? That's 27. Okay. And then the high priest garments. The high priest garments in 28. Right. And then the breastplate, breastplate of, judgment, of judgment. The consecration of priests. Okay. Go back to like 25, 26 back in there. Uh, where you got. Okay. Then we have structure of the tabernacle. Structure of the tabernacle. And the mercy seat and the mosaic covenant ratified. Okay. Good. So in other words, you start to get the Ark of the Covenant in chapter 25 there. It also in 25, you get that uh, table of showbread and you get the candlestick, the lampstand. So 
all the things that are in the tabernacle there are dealt with in chapter 25, except for the altar of incense. Uh -huh. You see? And then in 26, we have various other things. 27, <laughs> talks about the making of it, so on. 28, there you go. 29, and then we get over to 30. Quite a bit later, we finally get this little altar of incense. So let's read about that in the first few verses of Exodus chapter 30. You shall make an altar to burn incense on. You shall make it of acacia wood. A cubit shall be its length and a cubit its width. Oh, now wait a minute. Like the other things were like two cubits wide and, you know, longer than that. And they were tall. And everything. This is only one. See, it's just a little, little bitty thing. Cubits just like a foot and a half. So it's a little, it's like the little table we used to have out by the door. It's just, just a little bitty thing. That's right. Um, uh, it shall be square. And okay. And two cubits shall be its height. Now, Scripture is fun, isn't it? Because it says it'll be a cubit long, a cubit wide, and it will be square. You know, that's cool. I don't know how they managed to get that to work out. But, uh, and then how high? Two cubits. Which is? Not very tall. Only three feet. Little bitty, little tiny, little piece of furniture. You know, you've got all these mighty things, these... 12 loaves of bread, and you've got this big glorious lampstand in there, and the Ark of the Covenant with the, the cherubim, you know, guarding everything, and the Lord speaks through there. And then you've got this little thing, this little altar of incense, and it comes chapters and chapters later when it's described. It's odd. You know, you'd think you would sort of take them in order or something. You're like, what is it doing out of order here? Okay, let's hear about how it was designed. Its horns shall be of one piece with it. And, okay. you and you shall overlay its top, its sides all around, and its horns with pure gold. Mm. And you shall make for it a molding of gold all around. Okay. Two gold rings you shall make for it under the molding on both its sides. You shall place them on its two sides, and they will be holders for the poles with which to bear it. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Now, this is a sort of thing that a sort of critical mind might think. You know, there's no way that means anything. I mean, okay, you have rings because you put a pole in it and you carry it, you know. But it, it couldn't have meaning. And yet, what is it doing in the Bible if it doesn't? Go on. And you shall put it before the veil that is before the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with you. Whoa. Where I will meet with you. Important little detail for God to say there, right? Mm -hmm. So put it before the veil. So you know there was two veil, you know about the two veil thing, right? So there was, there was a veil out here. So there was this whole courtyard which had the curtains all around it kind of thing and it was quite high. And then uh, you could come in here and then there was a veil that allowed you into this holy place and only Aaron and the priests were allowed in there. And then there was a second veil that divided it from the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments was with the cherubs above it. And this was supposed to go right outside the veil. Now, Aaron the high priest would only go in there once a year. 
but it's, in terms of feng shui, it's kind of the wrong place to put a piece of furniture, like right in front of the door. Do you do that? Do you, do you ever put it like a bureau in front of your front door or something? You know, he only needs to get in there once a year, but that's the way he goes in, is right through there. So why would you have the altar of incense right in front of the door? Wouldn't you, like, move it over to the side or have it in the corner or somewhere, somewhere else? Why would you stick it right in front of the veil that's right in front of the Ark of the Testimony? That is exactly where that thing was supposed to go. Odd, this little piece of furniture right in the way when Aaron's trying to go in there once a year to make atonement and all that good stuff. Let's read on. Aaron shall burn on it sweet incense. Ah, sweet incense. Every morning. Mm. When he tends the lamps, he shall burn incense on it. Mm. And when Aaron lights the lamps at twilight, he shall burn incense on it. A perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Okay, so he would go in there, and it specifically says in verse 7 there, that when he's tending to these lamps, which he would do in the morning, that at the same time he was supposed to burn incense, right? I don't know if you remember from the, the uh, Table of Showbread episode, but there was frankincense on the table, of, you know, there was frankincense right there. Do you know that the word frank means pure, means pure incense? Uh, so frankincense would be right there. So it seems like he would take, it doesn't say that, but it seems like he would take the frankincense from here and burn it on this altar of incense to offer incense in the morning and in the evening, right? Yeah. In the evening he shall burn incense on it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Now, there's an important warning here. You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. And Weird. Okay, now wait. Go over that again. What, what did I say? You shall not offer strange incense on it, or a burnt offering, or a grain offering, nor shall you pour a drink offering on it. So these were various different types of offerings that they had. And they were very important offerings that they were supposed to do, but not on this altar. This is the wrong altar for that kind of thing. Okay, and, uh, and then what does it say in verse 10? And Aaron shall make atonement upon its horns once a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonement. Once a year he shall make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy to the Lord. And I don't have the passage here right now, but the once a year when Aaron would go into the Holy of Holies, he was supposed to burn so much incense in there. And it says, lest he die, you know, he had to fill the space with incense when he went in. And uh, so presumably this would be the, you know, source of that incense. Uh, now look at chapter 37. I just want to read a few more phrases about this. But it's interesting that it, it comes so late in the description. It's weird. Okay, 37, verse 25. This was the actual making of the tabernacle. He made the incense altar of acacia wood. Its length was a cubit and its width a cubit. 
It was square. Oh, good, good. Glad you added that detail. <laughs> and two cubits was its height. Its horns were of one piece with it. And he overlaid it with pure gold, its top, its sides all around, and its horns. He also made for it a molding of gold all around it. That's right. And we've read about the rings and so on. And uh, they all got overlaid with gold. And uh, how about 39, verse 38? 39, 38. This is when they were putting things together. Mm. The gold altar. Let, let's back up a little bit to let's. 36. Okay. Well, 35. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Ark of the Testimony with its poles. What are we doing? We, we, they brought the tabernacle to Moses. Yeah, so they'd made all, all these, these parts things, for it now. Including, including the Ark of the Testimony with its poles and the mercy seat, the table all its utensils and the showbread, the pure gold lampstand with its lamps, the lamps set in order, all its utensils and the oil for light, the gold altar. Oh, wait, say that again. The gold so altar. So it didn't refer to it as that before, but you see the thing is there were two altars. And this other altar was of bronze and it was outside. And then this one was of gold and it was inside. And the difference is quite striking. The one outside would be for uh, roasting whole burnt offerings or partial offerings of animals, uh, various libations and things out there. And, uh, but this one is only incense. It said, didn't it? We read that. No drink offerings, no burnt offering. You know, that's not going to happen on this one. This is just for incense. This one's bronze, this one's gold. Uh, and so, a number of times in Scripture, they refer to this as the golden altar. They don't even say the altar of incense. It's just the mm. golden altar because mm. there was only one gold. Even in the temple, there was only one golden altar. The, you know, so you could refer to it that way. Okay. And uh, that's right. And let's read the rest of that. The gold altar, the anointing oil, and the sweet incense, the screen for the tabernacle door. Yes, and then... Etc., etc. Well, what's the first thing in 39? The bronze yeah, altar. Yeah, so you've got the gold altar, then you've got the bronze altar that's out there, oh, the hangings and so on and so forth. Good, good, good. Uh, 40, verse 5. This you is how the things should be arranged. Scripture is not repetitive. Go on. Sorry, 40, 40, chapter 40, verse 5. You shall also set the altar of, of gold for the incense. Oh, there we go. It's an altar of gold for the incense. Before the Ark of the Testimony and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. That's interesting. You, you actually set that there first and then hang the screen in between it. That's, that's interesting. Okay, and this is how they would set everything, the laver and all those different things. Okay, and look at 40, verse uh, 26. What did Moses do? He's, he just put the, he put the, in verse 22, he put the table in. He set the bread in order in verse 23. He put the lampstand in verse 24. He lit the lamps in verse 25. Then in verse 26. He put the gold altar in the tabernacle of meeting in front of the veil. And he burned sweet incense on it as the Lord had commanded Moses. Yes. Sweet incense, okay? That's what that altar is for, the burning of sweet incense. So what might that mean? 
Let's look at some other passages. Uh, let me look here real quick. I've got a couple of notes. Right. Um, it's referred to in chapter 31, verse 11. You don't have to go back there if you don't want. But it mentions the sweet incense for the holy place. You know, that incense was specially for that particular area. And it mentions the sweet incense again in, in 35, verse 8. Okay, let's move on to Leviticus. So turn to the right, you get to Leviticus. Let's go to chapter 10. Okay, let's read the last couple of verses of the previous chapter, just 23 and 24 there. Okay. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Yes, quite striking. So this kind of supernatural fire comes out from before the Lord and consumes the materials that were there on the altar, and they all shouted and fell on their faces. So that is a sacred fire. That was a positive kind of fire that, that came out that represented the Lord. It came out from before the Lord. Now, look in chapter 10. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, Okay. And, and put fire in it. Oh. Put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So do we think that was a good idea or was that a bad idea? Hmm. So we just had this positive fire, but now this is bad fire, strange fire. And they took, seems like they took their own censers. They, they didn't even use the altar of incense or something. They took their own incense in and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not to do, okay, or didn't command them to do. So what happened that time? So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. Oh. And they died before the Lord. Yipes. They were no better than the fat on the altar. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Go on. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. Now, who was Aaron to Nadab and Abihu? Oh, their father. Their father. The father has just seen his two sons killed by fire coming out, and he doesn't say anything about it. Moses just said, Hey, I told you, you know. <laughs> And Aaron doesn't say anything. Okay, fine. And uh, wow. verse 4. Then Moses called... This is your type of verse, dear reader. Oh, Look okay. at this. Oh. Then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphon, oh, sons of Uziel, the, the uncle of Aaron, okay. and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. Interesting image. Pick them up by their clothes, right? Pick them up by the tunic. You don't even touch the body. You just grab the clothing and you haul them out. 
Okay. My cousins. Go on. So they went, and Moses said to Aaron and to Eliezer and Ithamar, his sons, do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes, lest you die and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. Yes, we can stop there, but a strange story. So whatever this thing means and whatever burning incense means, there's a bad way to do it and there's a good way to do it. And you do it the bad way and you die, you know, uh, and, and, but doing it the good way is a very holy thing. Kind of odd, isn't it? Oh, look at Leviticus 16. This is what I was just talking about. I think we'll see something here. Yeah, look at verses 12 and 13. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, with his hands full of sweet incense, beaten fine, and bring it inside the veil. Ah, so he's actually supposed to pick these up and take them inside the veil, and then what? And he shall put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony, lest he die. Yes, there you go. So the incense is playing this kind of life or death role, right? If he doesn't do the incense, he's going to die. If somebody does the incense the wrong way, they do die. Mm. Wow, what is this? I don't think of incense as being that heavy, but um, <laughs> let's go to <laughs> Numbers chapter 4. This is a simple little point in verse 11, but you remember we, if you were following with us on these things, that how they would, when they would transport it, they would cover these things with a blue cloth. So look at verse 11. Over the golden altar... And the most interesting thing in this verse to me is just that they call it the golden, the golden altar again. They don't even mention incense, they just say it's the golden altar. Over the golden altar they shall spread a blue cloth and cover it with a covering of badger skins, and they shall insert its poles. Yes, there you go. Okay, let's look at uh, Numbers chapter 16. Mm. Now, this whole chapter, which is way, way too long to read, is all about an incense story. Uh, let's just jump down to... Um, oh, we've got to read the first few verses. That's okay. great. And you'll get a lot of proper <laughs> nouns in 16 verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Ezhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, <laughs> with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. Yes. <laughs> it's what you call a compound subject with a rel relatively simple predicate. Okay, go on. <laughs> okay, so. Oops. And they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, representatives of the congregation, 
men of renown. They gathered together against Moses and Aaron. And against what? They ag gathered together against, against Moses? Moses and Aaron. Good heavens. And said to them, You take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them. <laughs> and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? <laughs> hey, we're all just as holy as one another. What are you doing all lording it all over us all like this? So, verse 4. So when Moses heard it, he fell on his face. And he spoke to Korah and all his company, saying, Tomorrow morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will cause him to come near to him. That one whom he chooses, he will cause to come near to him. Okay, so this is going to be, okay, we'll let the Lord indicate who his chosen is here. This is how the test is going to go. So Moses says, do this. Take censers, Korah and all your company. Hmm. Put fire in them and put incense in them before the Lord tomorrow. And it shall be that the man whom the Lord chooses is the holy one. You take too much upon yourselves, you sons of Levi. And you see how this is a, no, I'm not the one taking too much on myself. You're the ones mm. taking too much on, you, you know, you're lifting yourselves up here. It's not me kind of thing. So, uh, Old Testament trash talk. And um, <laughs> now, um, hmm. it's so fun. It is. Let's, let's keep going. Then Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it a small thing to you that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do the work of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to serve them? And that he has brought you near to himself, you and all your brethren, the sons of Levi, with you? And are you seeking the priesthood also? Therefore, you and all your company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that you complain against him? And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab. But they said, we will not come up. Okay. So this is, <laughs> there's action where the words are. You know, we're, we're not coming. Is it a small thing that you have brought us up out of a land flowing with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness? that you should keep acting like a prince over us? <laughs> so they have a rather negative view of, of what's going on in the Old Testament story here. Mm -hmm. And down in verse 15, Moses is very angry. And so the command is in verse 17 that everyone needs to take a censer, put incense in them, 250 censers, and you, Aaron, you know, every, everybody has to take a censer. And verse 18. So every man took his censer, put fire in it, laid incense on it, and stood at the door of the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Oh, so they all stood there at the door of the tabernacle. That's a lot. And Korah gathered all the congregation against them at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Uh-oh, it seems like they've already failed the test. <laughs> then they fell on their faces and said, Oh God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and you be angry with all the congregation? 
And so uh, Moses tells them all to, to depart, to get away from these tents of these wicked men in verse 26. And um, so Moses makes a very bold statement here in verse 29. This is how you're going to be able to tell who the Lord chose. If these men die naturally like all men, or if they are visited by the common fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates a new thing and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them and they go down alive into the pit, then you will understand that these men have rejected the Lord. Oh, so what do you suppose happened? Now it came to pass, as he finished speaking all these words, that the ground split apart under them and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the men with Korah and all their goods. Yes, and they all went alive down together into the pit, and the earth closed over them. And uh, then in verse 35, just for good measure, And a fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering incense. Oh, okay. And so later on down here, then people are looking toward the tabernacle of the congregation and a cloud covers it and the glory of the Lord appears in verse 42. And then the Lord says to Moses again in verse 45, get away from them, I'm going to consume them. And they all fell on their faces. And then look at verse 46. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar. From the altar, okay. Put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. Now, this is very crucial to what this altar means. Make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into into the midst of the assembly. And already the plague had begun among the people. So he put in the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Mm. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700. Besides those who died in the Korah incident. Yes, the famous (laughs) Korah incident. And verse 50. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, for the plague had stopped. Now, this image is really amazing. When you think about Scripture from that angle that it says in Luke 24, Jesus, after he was resurrected, says that everything in the Old Testament is about him. What does this mean, this running out, this taking the censer, taking incense from the holy place and running out between the living and the dead? Isn't it amazing? And stopping the plague. Does that have anything to do with Jesus who was between the living and the dead and stopping this plague of of evil? It's an amazing kind of image. And what was the weapon? It was this incense taken from this altar. This incense is what was able to stop the spread of evil. Wow. I don't think of incense as killing people. I don't think of incense. I don't think of people dying over incense issues. I don't hear that much on the news. Another incense outbreak, you know. Mm-hmm. 
But in Scripture, that's a big deal. That's a life and death thing, that incense business. And wasn't this like your incense versus my incense? Wasn't it? Right? They were both fighting with incense. Weird. You know? And these ones had the bad incense, so they got swallowed alive by the earth, something that had never been heard of before. And, and then the plague broke out, broke out in the community, and it was able to be stopped by running through with this incense. Good incense, taken from the right place. Mm-hmm. So, Scripture's deep sometimes, isn't it? Uh, let's look at some other passages here. Uh, look at, go to the right and go through First and Second Samuel and all that stuff. Get to First Kings, chapter seven. That's the only real story that we have tonight, particularly. But um, a whole story about incense. Isn't that amazing? Now Solomon is making all these things for the temple, just as Moses made all these things for the tabernacle. And Solomon, in verse, 1 Kings 7, verse 48, what does he do? Verse 48. Thus Solomon had all the furnishings made for the house of the Lord, the altar of gold. Ah, there it is. No mention of incense. Tiny little forward phrase, but there, forward phrase, but the altar of gold, there it is. And the table of gold on which was the showbread, the lampstands of pure gold, etc., etc. That's it. Just a little whisper of a thing. But it did, it's in there. It's in that temple and not much more said about it. Look at 2 Kings, if you would, chapter 22. This is one of many, many, many such examples. But look at 22, verse 17 there in 2 Kings. They've done bad things. Oh, let's start at uh, verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants, all the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. Yes, in the glorious language of the old King James, my wrath shall be kindled and shall not be quenched. A fire kind of image. Um, Now, what what was the incense problem there? Another incense problem is broken out. Uh, What did they (laughs) do that was bad? Two other gods. Burned incense to other gods. Oh, to other gods. So we had a strange fire problem. Now we've got a burning incense to other gods problem. And if you're familiar with 2 Kings, this comes up a lot. There was a lot of, you, you, you could burn your incense in the wrong place. If you burned incense on the high places or in the groves, very, very bad. You burn incense to other gods, very, very bad. So if you use the wrong fire or the wrong incense or you do it in the wrong place to the wrong person, very, very bad. So what, what, is this, what is this incense? Turn to the right and let's go to 1 Chronicles 28. Not very far to the right. Not very far to the right. 28, verse 18. 
Okay. Here's a little mention. Unlike Second uh, Kings, this does include the word incense. Look at verse 18 there. And refined gold by weight for the altar of incense. Yes. And then gold for the chairman. So okay. it, it's, it's in there. It, isn't, it hardly gets a whisper, but it is in there. And look at Second Chronicles chapter 26. Let's start at verse, uh, oh, verse 16. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. In, you might think that being lifted up is a good thing. Scripture, it's a bad thing. If your heart is lifted up, it's bad. You're proud, you know, egotistical, whatever we would call it these days. This is talking about Uzziah. Some, Go on. Some mighty man. That's right. Okay. What verse were we? 16. Uh, okay. When he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. It doesn't sound in and of itself that that was a bad thing to do, but go on. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. Uh-huh. And they withstood King Uz Uzziah, and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Huh, so you can also be the wrong person, right? The wrong person offering incense is bad. Go on. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead. You could totally see that coming. <laughs> before the priests in the house of the Lord, beside the incense altar. Oh, right there beside the incense altar. He's getting covered in leprosy. Okay. <laughs> and Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. And there on his forehead, he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King, yeah, I oh, think that's, that good? you know, he was a leper till the day he died. Mm. So not only life and death, but also causes miserable disease uh, if you're the wrong person. So he goes in there. What an image to be right by the golden altar, the altar of incense, and to be struck with leprosy. And these 80 priests who are saying, you are in the wrong place, you're doing the wrong thing, but he persists. Wow, I didn't know there were so many violent incense stories for this cute little, little cute, one and a half feet, little three feet tall little thing. But it's a big deal. There's, there's a lot that's going on with this. Turn to the right and let's go to the Psalms, shall we? The comfort of the Psalms in the middle of your Bible. Let's go to Psalm 141. Toward the end of the Psalms there. Okay. Now we're trying to figure out what this means. What is this big deal thing? Look at the first two verses there of Psalm 141. Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. Oh, say that again. 
Let my prayer be set, be set before you as incense. Oh. Incense, in some sense, equals prayer, right? Like, let my prayer be set before you, like incense. Go on. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Very interesting, the evening sacrifice. You know, so the burning of incense, the evening sacrifice, let my prayer be like that, okay? Prayer equals incense, so that's a useful thing to know. At least take that under advisement. Let's turn to the right and go to Isaiah that comes up pretty soon there. Isaiah 65, all the way at the end of Isaiah. Hmm. There's just another negative passage about the wrong kind of incense burning. 65 verse 7. Oh, there's also 3. Uh, 7. Yeah, look at that. Let's do three. That's good. I a like people it. who provoke me to anger continually to my face. Says God. Who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick. Not on altars of brick. <laughs> that is not the right thing to do. And look, they're eating pig's flesh in the next mm. verse. Glad I've never eaten that today several times. <laughs> and uh, how about... <laughs> About 65 verse 7 down there. <laughs> your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, says the Lord, who have burned incense on the mountains. Ah, wrong place to burn incense. Don't and, burn incense on the mountains. And blasphemed me on the hills. Yes, burned it. Now, that's a clue, isn't it? Context is so often a clue. If you burn incense on the mountains and you blaspheme the Lord on the hills... There's definitely something wrong about that. It's a form of worship, isn't it? That burning of incense. It's a worship ritual. And you're worshiping the wrong thing. You blaspheme God on the hills. You burned incense on the mountains. That's not a mountain of loving God or loving the neighbor. It must be a mountain of loving self and a hill of loving the world kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's the way the mountains roll in Scripture. Turn to the right and let's go to Jeremiah. We've just got a few more of these. Wow, that image of turning leprous right in front of that. I didn't see that coming. Jeremiah 6, verse 20. And what does the Lord say here? For what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba and sweet cane from a far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. Yes. So there's, it's not just like, oh, we got the right material or something. Uh, if our attitude is not right, that incense is not right. How about chapter 7, verse 9? I like this. Hmm. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely? Now wait, those four, say that again. Steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely. Where have I heard those four before? Hmm. They sound familiar. Interesting. Ten Commandments. And number five, drum roll. Burn incense to Baal. Oh, burn incense to Four of the Ten Commandments, the real action items in the second <laughs> half of the table, and burn incense to Baal. Huh. Burning incense to Baal must be really bad. Okay, go on. And walk after other gods whom you do not know. Now, so this is a question. Are you going to do all that? 
And, and, then, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. Oh, that's amazing. That's chilling. You know, are you going to break all those commandments and whatever burning incense to Baal means, are you going to do all that and then come in here and say, this is fine. God doesn't care or it's fine for us to do this. We, you know, it's fine if we do these abominations. Whew. Jeremiah chapter 18. Verse 15. Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to worthless idols. Oh. And they have caused themselves to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths, to walk in pathways and not on a highway, to make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. <laughs> Everyone who passed by it will be astonished and shake his head. Yes, that's right. Uh, so again, it's a bad thing. In the old King James, it says burned incense to vanity. Mm. It's interesting. New King James says worthless idols. Old King James says vanity, burn incense to vanity. Interesting. Okay, let's go to Luke in the New Testament. I just, Scripture is so amazing that even a very familiar story takes on a new tone when you look through a different lens. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 9 here. This is about Zacharias and Elizabeth. According to the custom of the priesthood, Zechariah's lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Oh, where would he do that, do you suppose? He was going in to burn incense. That's what he was doing. That's what he was doing in there. Okay. And what was the whole multitude doing? And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Didn't Psalm 141 say something about my prayers being like incense. Here he is inside burning incense and they're all outside praying. It's, it's, it's a beautiful image. But what happens to him, verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Oh, right there beside the altar of incense. That's where the angel appeared to him. Right there. Huh. Of all places, that, so he's right there, and then right beside it, there's the angel, okay? And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel says, don't, don't worry about it. This is going to be really great. And he tells him about how this whole thing's going to go, and what all's going to happen. And then verse 18. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. Mm. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words, page turn, which will be fulfilled in their own time. And the, people, the angel refrained from saying, you're lucky I didn't strike you with leprosy. The last guy I talked to here got struck with leprosy right by this altar of incense. You're, you're lucky just being struck dumb for nine months. Mm. Isn't that interesting? People getting struck there by the altar of incense. An angel striking them dumb. 
and what happens outside. Just two more verses. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. But when he came out, he could not speak to them. Not a long job just to burn that incense in there. And, uh, and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. Yeah, so he's just moving his hands or whatever, but he can no longer speak when he comes out of there. Hmm. It's really amazing. So apparently there was a large rotation of people who would go through, like he hadn't done it for quite a while. So his turn came up. It was his turn to go in. And while he's just doing this simple thing, do the incense, going through the motions, or boom, there's an angel. And the angel says things to him, and he's doubtful, and he's struck dumb right by the altar of incense. What, what does that mean? And just a few more scriptures. Turn to Revelation at the end of the Bible, just so we can say that we covered a lot of ground tonight. Revelation 5, verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Oh, so... The golden. incense, the golden balls, the incense, they're golden. They contain incense. And they are the prayers of the saints. Mm -hmm. hmm. This is John's vision in the spiritual world. And this is what he sees, that they have these bowls. They're golden. And what they, the incense that they contain. So we saw that make my incense like a prayer. And when Zacharias was offering incense... All the people were outside praying. But here, incense is said to be the prayers of the saint. Now, is prayer really life or death kind of thing? Is that what incense means? It means prayer? Uh, let's look at Revelation chapter 8. These angels in verse 2 are given seven trumpets. And in verse 3... Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. Oh, the altar? Hmm. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. The prayers of the saints equal the incense. And what happened in verse 4? And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Hmm. You can see that image of the smoke rising up. I mean, incense is traditionally burned in a rather wind-free environment, is it not, friends? And that's certainly what we had in the tabernacle, and that's what we had in the temple, that, that, that would just rise up, wouldn't it? Sort of lazily into the air. That's, that's what would happen with that incense. So this rises up the prayers. Send it up before God, and verse 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Oh, and then the seven angels prepare to sound. So again, this sweet, sacred Im image of this incense just rising up, such a peaceful image. And the next second, it's being thrown down. There's thunder and lightning and an earthquake. And I don't, when did incense get so violent? It's odd that incense is kind of a, you know, 
that it's that kind of thing in Scripture. And look at 9, chapter 9. Am I wrong about this? Do I have the wrong reference here? Oh, Golden yeah, yeah, yeah. 13. 13, yeah. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. There's only one golden altar before God, and it's that golden altar, a tiny little golden altar. That's the golden altar. And remember, it had four horns, right? It was made of a piece with those four horns mm -hmm. that came out. And one of the first scriptures we read tonight was it said the Lord will meet us there. Didn't it say that? And what did it say here? The that the, he hears a voice mm -hmm. from the four horns of the golden altar and giving instructions to these angels about what needs to happen. What is going on here? Okay. Well, fortunately, all shall now be revealed. Um, well, some will now be revealed. Okay, the positioning, as small as it is, this, you would have to say this is kind of centrally positioned, isn't it? Right there in front of the veil, that one passage even had it set right in front of the Ark of the Covenant, and then you stick the veil in, you know, it was, it was placed first before the veil came. And yet in those descriptions, it would keep coming last, you make everything else and this, that, and the other thing. And the, oh, by the way, six chapters later, oh, yeah, make that little, you know, golden altar of incense. Well, what does this mean? Well, um, Swedenborg explains, and I'm gesturing to those of you who are getting the audio at the, um, uh, we have a map of the tabernacle up here we've been using for a few weeks now. The most holy place, it has layers of different kinds of meanings, but uh, the most holy place, it's a picture of the three heavens, and the highest heaven is that holy of holies, the holiest place. And, um, and the characteristics, if you're familiar with Swedenborg's teachings, of that highest heaven is that it's, it's all about the heart, it's all about love. Uh, it's full of innocence and peace. It's the highest angels who are closest to the Lord um, Swedenborg says about those angels that they uh, don't wear clothes. They're completely innocent like little, little children. Um, they do not preach. He says it's a whole heaven of what he calls priests, but they never preach. They're just into doing and things like that, you know? They're just interested in being loving. So, Swedenborg says that they get angels to come in who are of a spiritual nature, which if you know Swedenborg's system, that's a little step that's more truthy rather than lovey, you know. And you get these angels. But Swedenborg says the very best angels of all are kind of a bridge between the heavenly and the spiritual. And they connect the love and the truth. So you have angels who are at the very highest level of the spiritual, and they go and preach to all those sweethearts, and the sweethearts in the celestial heaven, they just love it. They eat it up. Pow, 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 pow. Oh, wow. Oh, I, can, I know what to do now, you know. But they just don't care. To, I, I get bored reading all the books. Yeah, I don't know. I can't be bothered. 
you know, and so they get somebody come in who cares about that stuff. So fun for those preachers to preach to the, to the Swedish, because they just eat it up. They love it. But it's not a food product that they supply to themselves. They just, it's not their thing, you know? So they're very happy. Well, if you think of the most holy place in the tabernacle as being celestial or having to do with heaven and love, and then that holy place has to do with truth, isn't that altar of incense at the very highest spot, the closest part of truth to love? You know, it's sort of right where love and truth meet. Another way of putting this is that, uh, and I know this, if you're not familiar with Swedenborg, this is a weird type of thinking, I know. But uh, you could map this whole thing onto the human brain. And the most holy place, interestingly, would be your cerebellum at the back of your head, which has a completely different structure. It looks entirely, it's not gray matter, you know, it looks completely different the whole way that it works and what it does. And it has this sort of subconscious control over us. It's not a conscious part. It, uh, it's, it's deep in the Lord, you know, it's, it's connected to heaven and everything. Swedenborg says that he sees evil people in the spiritual world. And they, one test you can do if you're in the other world and you want to know how people are, turn around and look at the back of their head because the people who are evil have no, they have no cerebellum like that. That part's gone because it's supposed to connect with heaven. Um, so this part would be like the cerebrum, like your brain, your cortex, where you have your consciousness, where you do thinking and planning and, and things of that nature. So where would the altar of incense be? It's the highest conscious part, right? It's the highest part of our consciousness, just where that heavenly deep part that you only see in your dreams or in your early childhood or something, looking at the sparkling dust in the air, and uh, that, that just comes right through from the Holy of Holies. The, the first thing it hits is that highest sort of consciousness in us. Now, that thing is built last. And I think it is purposely small. One of the characteristics that I believe this is talking about, it is obviously something to do with worship because incense, everything about, wasn't it about worship on the mountains and offering strange fire and the offering, who's doing the offering? Is it a priest? And what's the point and all that stuff? It's all about worship, not worship as going through the motions, as empty ritual, but your actual inward devotion. I love that title of Swedenborg's transitional work, which is very interesting. It was right as he was turning from a scientist into a theologian. He writes this book called The Worship and Love of God, with sort of a little altar of incense, right, you know, or something mm -hmm. right on the cusp there. Mm -hmm. And um, The Worship and Love of God, it is a place, it's made of gold, so it has to do with love. Gold has to do with love. But the frankincense that it's burning, wait, dear reader, Yes. I remember gold and frankincense from somewhere. Where is that? That would be the wise man. Is that the wise men? The gold and frankincense and something else. Myrrh. It's soap or something, right? Yeah. Gold and frankincense. Isn't that interesting? So the gold has to do with that highest level of love. Frankincense is the spiritual. It's the truth, 
that goes with that love. It's very, so you have this golden altar and then you offer this frankincense on there and this beautiful incense burns up. It's this, uh, and rises as this smoke. It is this devotion, this prayer, not a sort of a, oh Lord, I need to say this prayer. It's the part of your heart that you're barely in touch with. You wake up in the middle of the night and you're saying the Lord's Prayer again and again to yourself. You don't even realize why you're saying it. There's some part of you deep inside your consciousness that's praying in the middle of the night. That's your altar of incense and it's small. It's just a little thing because that's our humility. It's our inner child if you want. It's like the smallest little part of us. Doesn't matter how the rest of the show scales up. It's still small. It's just a little holy part within us that responds to the Lord. But it's also the last one built because it's worship that comes out of all these other things. These, your feeling of the presence of the Lord, which is the table of showbread, your intellectual sight of the presence of the Lord, which is that lampstand. Those things lead in time, a few chapters later in your life, to a worshipful state, a state of innocence, of openness to the Lord. Just the smoke of that incense, frankincense, it's pure incense, it's humility and worship of the Lord. It's that deep because it comes from the Lord. We are capable of worshiping from ourselves, from our lower self, because we have an agenda, or we think we'll get something, or we're bargaining with God, or whatever, whatever it is we're doing. We're on some mountain or other. We're offering the wrong fire. The, the, the wrong thing is burning in our heart. We're doing it in the wrong place. We're the wrong person to do it. It's our King Uzziah, not the priest, which is the Lord in us kind of thing. What this is supposed to be is what's called prayer to the Lord from the Lord. The most prayerful states, I want to just read you quickly. You don't need to go there with me, friends, but 1 Corinthians 2.14 uh, comes to mind uh, because it says so gloriously here the natural man like that earthly that lower self part of us does not receive the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness to him neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned i don't know if you've ever visited your lower self dear friends but there is certainly a godless zone in each one of us i believe like there's a there's a certainly an before regeneration at least there's a part of us that doesn't know God, has no faith, no, no belief, or, or like the thing is not meaningful, we're in it for ourselves, or whatever, whatever. You know, just have a materialist viewpoint or something. We can't actually generate, we don't generate that worshipfulness from ourselves. The Lord gives that to us after we've done all this other stuff meant by the tabernacle. It, that's why it's last. It comes in, it's late in the day, to develop that worship. And that worship is so close to the Lord that it not only means our worship of the Lord, but it means an answering revelation 
of truth from the divine love that comes back. It's right, it's just outside the veil, you know, as close as it could possibly be. It's a revelation from that highest heaven from the Lord just coming right down and boom. So it's our prayer to the Lord. And when you're in that really deep state, it's hard to tell, is this me or is something coming? Am I receiving? I thought I was praying, but I'm getting an answer or something. You know, you're right there at that point where the, where the divine and the human meet, where heaven and the human race, where the two brains, you know, the consciousness and the unconsciousness, uh, right at that cusp there. Um, so... Um, it is a matter of spiritual life and death. Like not having that is a problem. It, it causes a spiritual leprosy or trying to hack into that thing somehow and do the wrong thing to try to force the Lord's hand to something, 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 you know. Um, bursting in there and trying to offer your strange fires and fire's going to come out. That, that thing is, is carefully protected. Um, uh, so it's a matter of spiritual life. When that thing is built, then there's a perpetual offering that goes on there forever and ever of this sweet devotion to the Lord. When Swedenborg's spiritual eyes were opened, I don't know if you remember this story from the Journal of Dreams, but um, now he was a famous scientist. He was a philosopher. He knew about mineralogy. He knew about anatomy. He had published books. He was famous. His movements were tracked in Europe and so on. And, and he was in his mid-50s now. He's a nobleman. He's, he's somebody to be reckoned with, you know. Uh, he, he's a force by this point. What does he do when the Lord comes to him in Delft in Holland? You remember, friends? He sings his childhood hymns. He sings these little songs from his childhood about how Jesus is my best friend. You know, the worship and love of God. That altar. He's built a lot of other things. He's been doing a lot of other things. But now, finally, an altar of incense gets set up in there. And what is the source of the revelation that the Lord gives him? It's that humility. That's why it's a little tiny piece of furniture just outside the veil. The Lord is so foolish and ridiculous as to want to give this to each of us. And he's able to do it. All we've got to do is... Go through the motions, do this thing, set up the tent, get the badger skin, do the thing and do the thing, and don't do the thing it says not to do. The Lord is longing to, to build this in us so that he has that place where the divine and the human meet, where our prayers rise up and are answered, where revelation of truth from love comes right down to that highest part of our conscious mind. That's all I think it means. <laughs> Thank you, good friends. Shall we close with a prayer?
our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you bowed down the heavens and came into this world. The tabernacle, as Scripture teaches, is all about you. These are pictures of what you went through and what you developed, how you became the healer, the preacher, the divine God that you are. Thank you, Lord, for doing that painful and intense journey. And thank you for carrying us. Thank you for that part in our child's heart where the prayers rise up to you morning and evening. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting, friends, and find us some gold. Gold.